I'm Scott Kerr, and you're listening to Facing the Giants, a podcast where I speak to today's luxury entrepreneurs about taking on the Goliaths of the industry. My guest on Facing the Giants is Kate Swanson, founder and CEO of innovative design-forward cookware brand Ensemble. A former securities lawyer, Kate launched Ensemble in 2017 with the goal to build better cookware products that save space, eliminate clutter, and worthy of serving in a modern home. Ensemble also recently won a prestigious Red Dot Design Award for its cookware collection, Stackware. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. So before you became an entrepreneur and getting into the cookware space, you were an attorney in Canada. Could you talk a little bit about your professional background? As most people that go on to start cookware companies, I used to (laughs) practice law. Um, I went to my undergraduate in Montreal and I studied political science and immediately thereafter went on to law school. And as soon as I finished law school, I started practicing corporate law in Toronto. And I did work primarily um, within the metals and mining space. That's a huge industry within Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, within that focused a lot on uh, corporate M&A, corporate governance, um, doing financings for public companies. And yeah, I practiced there. I practiced in that area for about five years. And it was during that time that I started to have some, I guess, more creative aspirations um, mm-hmm. that ultimately took me away from away from law. But um, I think starting out in that space has been such an incredible foundation for everything that I've gone on to do since then. I think the law, while you know there are very practical applications of being a lawyer, I think really what it teaches you is how to read, understand, make sense of incredibly complex information and materials, and then figure out a path forward. And so well, some people might say that um, lawyers and entrepreneurs are light years apart. I think they're very, I think they're very similar in that both need to be able to understand something complex, make sense of it, and make a plan to go forward. So I read that the inspiration for Ensemble came from your own struggle with managing storage space in your urban apartment. What led you to launch Ensemble in the first place? Like, where was the opportunity in the cookware space? So for me, it was honestly one day of coming home, going to make dinner, looking at my own pots and pans cupboard, just realizing what a like what a disaster that space was in in my condo. Everything was, you know, kind of Tetris in. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't visually appealing to look at. It wasn't practical because when you took one piece out, I'm sure this is something a lot of people can relate to. Kind of everything comes crashing down. Um, you know, I was storing a few of my larger pieces in in my storage locker. So, like, I had to go down the elevator into the basement of my building in order to get out everything. It just wasn't. It wasn't a great user experience. And I got to thinking one day, you know, the the reason that it was so hard for me to fit everything into this cupboard was really because of the way that the handles had been designed and because of the way the handles were, were sticking out of all of my pots. And 
my my husband and I, we really like to um, go hiking and camping. And we had this set of, of camping pots that had the handles that come on and off on them. And right. I was kind of looking at my own cupboard and then thinking about this cookware that we used when we went on hiking and thought, well, you know, why why is it that this sort of new kind of design, why is this only being applied to the like the outdoors um, in kind of this, you know, like super lightweight kind of janky design? Um, why couldn't we do something that still felt very, um, very high end, very luxurious, um, very high performance, but take that idea of bringing the removable handle to it and kind of blend it together. And so I think the the nerd in me did a deep dive after that into what the cookware industry looked like. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what were the sort of big legacy players in the industry doing? What kind of products were they making? Who was designing them? Like, what did their internal org structures look like for design? And when I sort of went down this path, what I came back with was a little bit discouraging from a consumer perspective, but exciting from an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial perspective. Because what I found was that there were a handful of big companies in the market, and they had uh, predominantly male designers working for them. And they were all kind of sharing around the same types of like molds and tooling in order to create products. And so as a result, the reason that you see so many pots and pans, so many, um, you know, cookware products looking the same is because they're all being built from the same kind of base. And I thought that was incredibly interesting and just an opportunity that was ripe to be disrupted, um, to come in and bring, you know, as, as a woman coming into the space, I could bring a very different perspective. Um, I know if I even just look at um, the way I kind of operate and like navigate in the kitchen versus my husband, you know, he's very focused on the task at hand of just cooking and then isn't necessarily thinking so far down the road in terms of like, well, how am I going to clean everything? How is it all going to be put away at the end? And so from talking to um, other friends of mine that were sort of living, living the same way and going through, you know, the challenges that we were all having, I really quickly realized that this was a much bigger problem that I was seeing here um, and that there was an opportunity to just really think differently about the way that these products were being designed and an, an opportunity to build a brand around that. So how did you go about raising capital to launch the business? Yeah, I started off by putting in some of my own money. I was very fortunate to be in a, in a position to do that. And I used that capital in order to build out our first prototype. Um, I wanted to make sure that this idea of creating the, the removable handle and creating a removable handle that could give people a really great experience was possible before I went further down, down the road of building out the rest of what would go on to become Ensemble. Um, and then with that prototype, I was able to do an initial round of uh, friends and family funding um, and then build the company to a further point where I felt comfortable going and approaching Angel investors um, have taken on some funding from them. I have participated uh, in a startup accelerator program that uh, gave Ensemble uh, additional funding to keep going. And 
We've also taken on uh, some debt financing uh, from the Canadian government. And to be honest, that's about it. Um, we've been really scrappy with the way that we've taken on money and really focused uh, from the outset on building a company that can be self-sufficient, um, building a company that can be profitable on it, on its own and not necessarily dependent on a countless stream of, of venture capital in order to keep going. So what was the approach that you took to determine the initial product assortment in the Stackware collection? I believe that's the first thing that you did. Did you look at data? Did you speak to cohorts of people to get their opinions? What did you do? Yeah, both both of those things. Um, I, I started, again, the lawyer in me was I started with like mm -hmm. textbook research. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to figure out you know, like based on current market studies, what what does the market say that people are using? What are the stats for, you know, the most commonly purchased items for the kitchen? How are cookware sets uh, composed? What are the common pieces that are being put into them? And then I sort of took all of that and was like, actually, I just want to throw this to the side for a moment. And instead of just relying on somebody else's research, I want to go into the market and do my own. And so I ran test groups in my kitchen mm -hmm. with friends of friends who had no idea what we were building um, and asked them to prepare a couple of dishes for me while, while I observed them. Um, trying to get as much information as I could about the way that they were cooking, the pieces that they gravitated towards, um, how they were using the cookware. And from there, was able to formulate a strategy around um, the most commonly used sizes, um, the most useful sizes, um, perhaps not necessarily in terms of what people were reaching for in their own kitchens, but what they would ideally want to reach for based on the types of meals that they were preparing for themselves, for their families, for their friends. So who helped you translate your vision into the renderings on a computer screen? Yeah, I was really fortunate early on to be introduced to Chris Harsaki, who's an industrial designer um, and a, a partner of Huge Design in San Francisco. Um, Chris and I have worked together from the very beginning, and he was the one that really took uh, the ideas that I had in my head of what the handle could be, how it should function, um, the sizes for the actual cooking vessels, what, what they could be, and translate those into CAD renderings that we were then able to take to a factory in order to start production. So cookware is made all over the world in thousands of different factories, and you know, how do you find that one that you liked and one that adhered to your standards and vice versa? So in order to find our factory, and I honestly, I, I want to just, I want to call them my, like they, they are my partners. They aren't, they aren't just a factory at this mm -hmm. point. They are, they mean so, they mean so much to me. Um, but in order to, to find them and go through that vetting process, we started by, again, doing research on different regions of the world where cookware was being made, sending out a lot of cold emails to factories, um, trying to figure out exactly what kinds of products they were making. Did they have the capability to make what we wanted to? And um, did they have the capacity to take on a new, completely unknown client to work with? And I think one of the most interesting things that I found out really, really early on was that 
sort of back to that initial point that I made was where one of the reasons all cookware kind of looks the same is because it's just sort of like all being made by a handful of factories, sort of relying on a handful of mold types. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a real problem when you want to approach a factory and make something that's completely new. I would say 99% of the factories that we approached were really only comfortable creating the cookware that they were already selling to other clients. And so um, we were able to eliminate a lot of potential factory partners early on simply because they weren't open to innovating at all. And they would only work with us if we were going to create something that they were already doing. And so with that, um, I ended up connecting with a handful of factories in China who were excited about the opportunity to innovate. Um, I made my very first trip to China. Uh, We went and toured a number of those factories in person, Mm -hmm. brought back samples, cooked on them for months and months to get a feel for what the performance of their products was going to be like. And then eventually made another trip back um, to do sort of like a final, a final visit um, and decide who we wanted to work with. And the, the factory that we do work with now, as I call them, like they, they are my partners. They, I think, have believed in the vision for the kind of cookware that I wanted to create from the outset. They understood from the outset that what we wanted to make was going to be incredibly challenging, um, but that excited them. They wanted to spend time doing iteration after iteration after iteration on our removable handles in order to get it right, knowing that that was going to be such an integral part to what we were building and it had to be it, it had to be perfect. And so finding finding that partner who not only was able to create you know really incredible cookware, um, but that was willing to go that extra mile and do the innovation piece with us. Um, was was so crucial and I'm I'm so lucky to have found them. So you know there's been a whole slew of new direct to consumer entries into the cookware space over the last seems like I don't know four years or so looking to disrupt the legacy brands and help consumers who were facing this dizzying array of pots and pans on trips to department stores or online. So are you competing more with other DTC cookware brands like Potluck or Great Jones or the high end ones like Lou Crozet or all clad? So I think that ensemble in a way is kind of in a category of its of its own. And the reason that I'll say that is because, you know, the brands like um Great Jones or or Potluck, I think their their main value prop is that they're bringing you um a product that you know, uh, like a, 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 a standard version of cookware that you know, at a much better price because they're going, they're coming at you direct to consumer. And then the legacy brands that we have are, you know, continuing to churn out. I mean, I think all clad still kind of is that gold standard in terms of, in terms of quality, but again, because of their legacy sales channels, it, it is at a much higher price point. For me, the idea wasn't necessarily to come in and compete on price. We wanted to come in and compete on utility, compete on design, um, compete on functionality, compete on performance. And so I think what we're what we're trying to build and the way that we're thinking about it is really 
you know, not waking up and thinking, you know, in the morning, what are these D2C brands doing? You know, what what is what is all cloud doing? But just really thinking that we are positioning ourselves in this white space kind of of that that Venn diagram where nobody to date has really gone after functionality. Nobody has gone after the way that we're thinking about our space. And nobody has been building really design forward products that are also so high performance that you can use them to cook every single day. And so we are, I think, operating kind of on on our own in that sense. Yeah. But we're also seeing other brands jumping on the removable cookware trend with their own lines of products with detachable handles like Westinghouse and some others. So what's your game plan as the trend becomes bigger? I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's amazing that there are other brands that see the value in creating detachable handles. I think that's you know it's 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 affirming of the vision that we have and for the way that we want to create products. Uh, I will say that creating a detachable handle is incredibly challenging. Creating something that can bring the experience of cooking with a traditional pot or pan while the handle is engaged, but offer that very easy seamless detachment so that you can, you know, transform your braising pan into a beautiful serving dish, um, have everything stacked so neatly when when it's not in use. That's really hard to do. I, I know that because I've lived the experience of bringing our handle to life. And I say this, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's cocky, maybe it's, maybe it's over and like overconfident, but I, I am not worried about other brands trying to create a removable handle because I feel so confident in the strength of ours. And who are you speaking to? Who's your core target audience? Um, our core audience uh, has a bit of a range, but I will say our our best early adopter customer is maybe not who you would think it is in that we have resonated with men um, much more so than any than any other customer group. So while we definitely sell our products to a range of customers, um, our best customers right now are men in the early to mid 30s going all the way up to, late 40s, early 50s, um, usually of a a certain kind of professional background. Um, I think people that have an appreciation for the innovation, um, the performance, and kind of like the the nerdiness of the details that make Ensemble so special. So did that surprise you that men are so passionate about this brand? It definitely is surprising to me. Although the more that I think about it, I'm like, oh, like, uh, like, obviously, like this actually shouldn't be so surprising. What I, what I do continue to constantly find so cool and I, and I never get tired of hearing, but are men that maybe weren't the primary cooks in their home before who have been introduced to stackware and now are obsessive about it and you know want to be the one that's going to come home and like sear the perfect steak and you know make sure that the pan is beautifully cleaned at the end make sure that they're using um all of their handles equally so that they they each get enough like play like like screen time or like like use time uh being being attached to the pot so that they're you know kind of like wearing at, at the same rate 
And um, I find I find that fascinating that people who may have not previously been excited about being in the kitchen um, have have this passion, not just for the food that they're preparing, but the tools that we've been able to create for them in, in order to do that. Do you think it's also because it has this gadget mentality to it? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. Um, I think, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it does like, the, you know, the, ha- the handles come off. They're cool. They're like very <laughs> right. engineering. They're very engineering forward. Um, they're patented. So there's like that kind of nerdy element to it as well that, yeah, it does make it a bit more akin to um, a gadget than, than something that is, you know, like a very like French country style right. of, of cookware that they may have been more familiar with, with previously. So during the pandemic imposed lockdown ensemble, like other home brands was fortunate to be part of an industry for which demand skyrocketed overnight. Millions of American adults were staying at home and cooking more. How did ensemble benefit from this shift? As awful as it is to say, the pandemic, I think, was helpful for us because of those exact reasons that you just said. Um, It has been amazing to see so many people take a huge interest in the foods that they're preparing at home um, for what we know, whether that's because they can no longer go and eat out like five of the seven days a week that they would have, they would have previously done um, or whether it was, you know, simply they're just in need of another activity to do. The fact that people have wanted to cook so much more. And I think really embrace this idea that you can make food at home. That's just as good as the food you would eat at a restaurant um, has been really helpful for us. I think we've seen a lot of people who, might have been, let's say, getting by with a smaller, lower quality set of cookware when all they were doing was maybe making one one or two meals a week, um, but were sort of getting their joy from food when they were eating out at a restaurant. We've seen them be really excited to switch to our products because of the quality um, you know, we've created stack. We're using three and a half millimeter uh, fully clad stainless steel and aluminum, and so it's you know just incredibly high performance. The heat distribution is just beautiful and even across the pan, and the results that you can achieve with that kind of a tool are next level. And so, yeah, it's just it's been it's been amazing to see people want to cook really great food during that time. So right now you're 100% a direct-to-consumer, correct? Yes, we are. Yeah. So, you know, pre-pandemic, it felt like there was a new DTC brand launched every day. Um, and now we've been seeing in the past year, many of these darling DTC brands are struggling. So it's between being at the mercy of supply chains, soaring shipping costs, rising social media prices, smaller than anticipated customer bases, and legacy brands getting into the DTC game too. These and other factors have dealt many of these DTC companies kind of a harsh dose of reality. How has your business been and navigating through these choppy waters? It has definitely been a challenge for us. And I don't ever, I don't ever want to take for for granted our ability to, to continue to navigate through. But I will say that it has been helpful for us to have already been so focused on 
profitability focused on having a really lean operation so that when we are faced with uncertainty because of supply chain, when we're faced with uncertainty because of a change in an algorithm, <laughs> our mm -hmm. things like that, that, that are affecting so many companies, but I think have a disproportionate effect on D2C brands. While, while we definitely feel it, these aren't things that are going to put the fate of our company at risk. We're able to keep going. We're able to be really nimble and navigate, navigate around. Um, I will say we were supposed to launch Ensemble three months after the pandemic started. Right. Hmm. And at that time, our entire supply chain had 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 stopped like our fact our factory was closed um by the time our factories in china reopened our packaging factories uh and packaging engineers in america were were locked out from work and they weren't able to go back because it was the early days of, of that and you know we we faced like some pretty scary times as a company especially given that we had orders to ship and customers who were counting on receiving products that had been like pre-ordered through sort of like an, an earlier iteration of, of our, of our pre-launch. And what I will say is something I will be eternally grateful for are the people that have supported Ensemble from the outset and the customers that come to us are very understanding of those global challenges mm -hmm. and are excited enough about the product about the innovation, about being a part of something that's new, that they have given us that time in order to make it through whatever those supply chain delays are, whatever whatever those those hurdles are that we face as a company in order to bring them their product. And even when they have had to wait, when they receive it, they're so they're so excited to get it. They're so excited to start cooking. And so we've we have been able to navigate through, I think, in large part because our customers have been understanding and um, and allowed us the time to get to where we need to be. How much of your business is in North America? Um, right now, approximately 80 80 percent of our business is in North America. And where's the other 15% or is that just broken out everywhere else internationally? Predominantly Europe. Um, we have a little bit of business that comes from Asia and that's a market mm -hmm. that I'm excited about exploring more in the future. Right. That's roughly the breakdown right now. So there was a poll that came out last year that Americans have hit their tipping point in the kitchen with nearly half feel drained about prepping their next meal. A little more than one in three feel the pandemic has exhausted their love for cooking, and many would like to use less cookware. How is Ensemble addressing these post-pandemic cooking pain points for consumers? I have also read those polls and seen and seen that data. And I must say, while on, you know, sort of taken at face value, you would think that this is kind of like disastrous information for a brand that, you know, whose flagship product is cookware. But the really exciting and cool thing about Ensemble and about Stackware is that in a sort of fortuitous way, our products are actually designed like for this moment. 
I, you know, even, even pre-pandemic as, you know, as much as I, you know, like to cook and obviously cooked enough that I wanted to leave a career in law in order to start a company that makes cookware, I can get lazy and I don't always want to cook every night of the week. And so something that has been really important to me during our design phase was creating cooking vessels that were big enough that you were able to cook leftovers and have enough have enough space in that pot or pan so that you could do a really great job of making a meal that was going to last for more than one evening. And so we've designed all the pieces that come into Stackware in order to be big enough to do just that. But I think the other cool piece that we brought into it was with the addition of our flat-lying lids, all the pieces are really perfectly shaped in order to fit nicely in your fridge. So if you wanted to do one day of cooking on the weekend, make enough food to sort of last you the better part of the week, it's all made to actually go and stack really neatly in the fridge so that when you finish work at, you know, 7 p.m., all you want to do is like pour yourself a glass of wine, sit down and kind of have dinner appear. All you need to do is go to the fridge, take out what you prepped earlier in the week, put it back on the stove, and you're not giving yourself some sort of like mushy microwaved meal. You're able to recreate that dish. So just as delicious as it would have been the night you made it, you can serve it to yourself on that Wednesday um, and, and, and have it just be ready, ready to go. So we've tried to really think through that experience. And I guess maybe the more practical side of how people live when we thought about the design of the design of our cookware and the way that it was going to be used. Um, I will also say, speaking to maybe the the lazier side of myself, I'm not a big fan of doing dishes. Mm. If I could give up like one task, I I would cook for days, but I'm really not a huge fan of doing all the washing up. And so everything with stackware can go in the dishwasher, which is really nice and really time-saving. Because again, once you take the handles off all of those pots, it's no it's no longer this sort of like insurmountable task of trying to figure out how they're all going to fit inside. You can actually just run them through the dishwasher. And so I think we hope that we are sort of set and ready to help people through a time where maybe they're not excited about cooking every night, but we have created tools that can help you cook a couple times a week, but still be fed a really delicious meal every every evening. So I don't have to tell you this, but part of the challenge of launching a new company is getting the word out there about your company and, you know, build a brand. How have you been approaching your marketing strategy for Ensemble? We have tried to be very thoughtful about our marketing strategy and very, very wary of ever becoming over-reliant on paid ads. Mm -hmm. I think, especially especially as a D2C brand, I think it's really easy to get sucked into a sort of a, a an entire flow of just relying on paid ad traffic. And I remember really early on while I was, this is while I was still practicing and sort of formulating an idea for Ensemble in my head, I had read an interview with Michael Presman, the founder of, of Everlane. Yep. And early on, Everlane 
I mean, they they do paid ads now, but when they started out, that was something that they were quite um like militant about was that they weren't going to be doing at ad, like advertising. And that was part of how they were keeping their, their costs low, or they weren't going to be doing the same kind of paid, paid advertising um, in those sort of like early, early 20, early 2010s. Let's put it around there. Uh, that has, that has always stuck with me of being like, if, if you need to rely solely on those paid ads in order to get the word out, you know, sort of like what, what is the foundation that your company is going to have at the end of the day? And so we've tried to be really thoughtful by reaching out to as many freelance writers um, working for publications that we admire and the publications that we read, trying to get product into their hands so that we can generate organic press coverage that way. And we've been really fortunate um, to have received some in incredibly glowing reviews um, from writers uh, and in publications that are uh, that are incredible, like Architectural Digest, we're featured in the Wall Street Journal's gift guide. Um, things, things like that have been tremendous for us. And that I think more organic reach in terms of the way we think about our marketing and getting the word out um, has been really important. I will say the one other aspect that we have invested heavily in and I feel very strongly about our decision to do that is investing in our branding, investing in incredible photography to shoot our product um, at the outset, especially for a new brand. That's a really daunting undertaking. Good branding is, 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 is it's expensive. You yep. engaging the right professional team to help you build that brand, to help put together that aesthetic. Um, you know, that's not something that happens on its own. And it's something that really and truly is an investment. But that's something that I'm really happy that we've done. I feel like we have been able to engage in so many meaningful partnerships that have led us to additional marketing and press opportunities. But it comes down to the fact that we have built a brand with a look and with the feeling that resonates on, on a very specific level. And so, again, that was a big decision to make um, and not not an easy decision to make because, again, it was such a huge investment, but one that I am incredibly happy that we that we made because it's it's paid off and continues to pay off for us every day. I was reading recently that uh, D2C cookware brand Caraway recently announced that it is partnering with Target to sell its products in like 350 stores. Have you been exploring partnering with a retailer to broaden your footprint and provide a new way of reaching customers? Absolutely. We actually just ran our our own, our first store. Um, it was a, a pop-up store that we did in partnership with Pogenpol, um, the German kitchen cabinetry brand in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And having the opportunity to see the way that customers interact with our product, how excited they get about the product when they can see it in person um, was I, on one hand, both like extremely gratifying, but also really telling in terms of 
the direction that we need to move in, in order for Ensemble to grow. And I think having those in-person retail touch points are so important for us. I will say, going back to the fact that the cookware space is quite crowded, we don't ever want to situate ourselves as part of the part of the problem or part of the noise within the space, making it more complicated for a consumer to make a decision about which, which cookware brand is right for them in a, in a given moment, in a given like place in their life. And so we're really focused right now on pursuing conversations with the right retail partners so that when we do have ensemble in a store we're in the right store facing the right types of customers customers who are going to be excited about the product who are going to want to purchase it who are going to get value from it rather than being in front of an audience who doesn't necessarily um doesn't necessarily see it as the right cookware for them in that moment so i happen to be taking a look at ensemble's pitch deck and you talk about moving beyond just cookware and applying your design philosophy to other products like small electronic appliances, storage canisters, and even yard tools. Is that something that's still in the cards? Absolutely still in the cards. I am always hesitant to pitch Ensemble as a brand that lives in the kitchen, even though I know we make cookware right now. So that is our current home. But I believe there is an opportunity and a place for Ensemble and for our philosophy to really exist with, within the entire home, within the, our entire communities. I constantly look to the brand Dyson for inspiration and love the way that they have translated their passion and their expertise at with uh, expertise with the movement of air and the flow of air from a vacuum cleaner to my hair dryer and fan in my room. And, you know, those are, I'm sure if you heard them pitch, you know, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, being like, so you're going to make vacuums and you're going to make a hair dryer, like seriously. <laughs> but at the same time, you see it now and it's so logical. Right. And so, you know, I'm constantly thinking about Dyson kind of as my, my North Star in terms of how can we take the elements that are so fundamental to ensemble um, you know, for us, that's really thinking about space optimization, bringing together form with functionality um, and creating these beautiful tools that we can use every day that most definitely does not need to be limited just to the kitchen. And yeah, stay tuned. We have some exciting things in in the works that I hope are going to be um, in the market soon. And, and you'll get to see the way that we're thinking about life beyond the kitchen. Great. Is there anything you could talk about for 2023 that uh, that you can share? Oh, I absolutely cannot. <laughs> we have we have a few things that we're working on, um, and I'm hopeful that you'll get to see them very soon. But unfortunately, I can't share more details than that. I'm looking forward to that. Kate Swanson, founder and CEO of Ensemble. Thanks for coming on Facing the Giants. Thank you so much, Scott.